Okay, welcome back to the Play on Words podcast. I am so excited for you all today, and I'm excited for myself, actually, because I'm with one of my favorite follows on social media, Jessica Farmer. You probably know her, Farmer Loves Phonics. Um, huge literacy advocate, I think one of the first ones that I followed, and um, science of reading guru, former teacher, and mom. Um, and I'm so excited to talk about all things science of reading and curriculum and classrooms and whatever else comes up. So welcome. Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. I get so excited when I'm asked to be on a podcast because I just love it so much. I love chatting with all the different audiences and you have a lot of parents that follow your page. So it's really exciting to be able to talk with them today. Yay. Um, okay. So like we were already talking and I'm like, oh my gosh, we just have to jump into the podcast. Um, <laughs> will, will you tell actually, okay. Like I know we gave the bullet points. What, how, what was your journey on discovering science of reading? Yeah. Or so which also, I guess I should back up and say, which I, I try to say all the time in every podcast, science of reading is not a specific curriculum. It's a body yes. of research. Yeah. So, so discovering maybe a specific curriculum that changed things for you or discovering that what you were taught maybe wasn't what was working in your classroom. Yeah. So I always take it way back to 2020, you know, um, when the pandemic first started and all of the teachers were jumping to teach online. That is kind of when I really started diving into the science of reading. I was in a first grade Facebook group because, you know, all the teachers always join the little Facebook groups for whatever grade level they teach. And a teacher mentioned, you need to join this Facebook group called the science of reading. What I should have learned in college. That group is like, full of amazing information. And if you want to know more about literacy and learning how to read, join that group. And so I joined that group and I went deep down the rabbit hole. Um, that group just had so much information and many things I was learning uh, that I was doing things wrong in my classroom based on the research and the science. And so then I started sharing about it because I'm like, why did I not know this? I didn't learn this in college. I didn't learn this from my school district. I didn't learn this from the curriculum we were given. We were trained in guided reading. You know, I had that guided reading book on my small group table, all my leveled readers behind me, all my little guessing cues up on the board, you know, eagle eye, look at the picture, skippy frog, skip the word, guess it based on context. Like I was teaching all of that stuff because that's all I knew. And so I jumped on to social media to share because I thought everyone needs to know this. Why doesn't everybody know this? And at that moment, the only person I saw sharing about it was Heidi, dropping knowledge with Heidi. And so she was on TikTok. I jumped on TikTok. I started making phonics TikToks at first for my students that were learning at home. And I made like a little slideshow with all my little TikToks for different um, phonics patterns. And that's how it started. It just kind of started by accident, but I knew this information needed to get out there and I was super passionate about it because I had always taught extra phonics because it just made sense to me, but I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. But I knew when I would pull out these little decodable readers that were part of like the intervention program, you know, sometimes the intervention program of the curriculum will have some decodable text. And I started using that and my students could read it. And I was like, this is, this makes sense, but I didn't know the why behind it. And once I learned the why behind it, I learned more about phonemic awareness and all these foundational skills. I was like, oh my gosh, the light bulb just totally went off. You know, when the, 
the, the light bulb turns on. You're just like, everyone needs to know this. So I was like, how can I shout this from the rooftops? And it was TikTok at that time. Everybody was on TikTok. So yeah, that's oh how I gosh. started. I, I love that because also you are like a huge advocate about science of reading. And I think it's such a good reminder. Like that wasn't like, that was not that long ago that you were like, I had this big change that that's, that's so crazy. And like inspiring to people that might be like, Oh, I've been doing this for 40 years or, Oh, it's too late. Or, Oh, like now, but I I was, I was doing a PD at a elementary school yesterday. And I saw, I was talking to this woman and she was like, just finishing. This is her first year teaching. She's just finishing grad school. And she was like, I feel like this is the best time to become a teacher because everything's shifting. And I was like, that is not yes. what every school says, but like, I, that is so good to hear that people are like, it is shifting. Everything is shifting. So yes. that's very hopeful. Um, yeah. which, okay. brings me to a question. I'm going to share some questions people have asked on Instagram. I'm sure you get similar questions, but, yeah. um, speaking of the shift. So, so many parents, parents and teachers say things like, I want to advocate for this change, but I don't know how, like, I want to support this fight. What, what can we do to fix this as a parent or as a teacher at a school that doesn't really, maybe won't make the shift yet? Yeah. So definitely for parents, you know, get involved with your school, get involved by going to PTO and SAC meetings or going to the school board meetings, you know, hearing what they have to say, sharing some of the research um, and, you know, maybe even sharing like a free resource that you found. That's how I do it. I like to share free resources because you know, people love something free that's quality rather than coming at it from a negative aspect, Mm -hmm. like you're doing everything wrong, come at it from a positive place and say, wow, look at this resource. This looks really great. Maybe this is something we we should be doing. Um, And that's something I went to uh, the Reading League conference and I got to see Kareem Weaver speak and he was talking about, it was amazing. Yeah, I get goosebumps still after hearing him speak. He was the opening keynote and he talked about how We need to come from a place of love because that is where balanced literacy kind of came in and was like about this love of reading. And that just makes people feel warm and fuzzy inside. And that's why I think it kind of took over the way that it did because we wanted to create this love of reading for our kids, but you can't love something that you don't know how to do. And so I think if we can figure out how to make science of reading more lovable and warm and fuzzy, like balanced literacy is, that maybe more people would be open to it and accepted, um, mm-hmm. accepting to it, this change. Uh, I see a lot of people who say they join some of these science of reading communities and feel very intimidated because they don't know the specific research. And sometimes they feel like they're being talked down to because people know more than they do. So I definitely, think coming from a good place is where we have to start. So if a parent wants to tell their child's teacher, uh, you know, I really think you should be doing it this way, you need to kind of approach it from a more positive aspect. Instead of telling them what they're doing wrong, show them a, a resource that you thought was really neat and you wanted to share with them. Yeah, I love that. And for people that don't know who Kareem Weaver is, um, he is an activist and uh uh, was he the vice president of the uh, NAACP? 
in in I'm California? Not sure off the top of my head, something he's, yes. He's yes, a big but... advocate and an activist um, yes. in the literacy as a civil rights issue, and mm -hmm. like the like one of the biggest fighters in yes. in fighting for better reading instruction. Because as we know, you know, if a child can't read, their chances of depression, anxiety, homelessness, unemployment, incarceration are just exponentially skyrocketed. So yeah, he, yeah. he is a big voice in, in explaining that. Um, you also just said something. Oh, yes. Yeah, stay positive. So uh, this, I think, is a good question for you because you were a classroom teacher. And so yeah. I think I get I wonder if you get actually this. I, this is like three questions. If you get teachers that like come to you and say, like, well, make sure that parents know that they actually don't know everything. Like we do know these things. Like, you know, when I'm like advocating for parents to be like, yeah, you can share this research. I always yeah. do the same thing, you know, like, go, oh, is it positive? Like, I just learned about this and I wanted to share it. Think about like a restaurant, you know, if you're like, you want to tell everyone about it. It was so good. I yeah. just found this restaurant, but some people, some teachers will come in and be like kind of defensive, which I, I, I know like it can be like a little bit like you're a little not territorial, but you're like, I know what I'm doing. Don't tell parents to tell me I don't. What would you say to like, to those teachers and to those parents that are afraid of that pushback? Yeah, you just have to have open communication with your parents. And as a teacher, like I get it, you don't want to be told by a parent that you're doing something wrong necessarily. Yeah. So like I said before, keeping it positive, coming from a place of caring or um, sharing a resource that you thought was exciting or something that was working for your child at home. Like teachers want to hear that as well. Like I've been doing this at home. This is what's been working because I know that this XYZ has been a struggle. So I just wanted to share this with you. I loved having parents who would let me know what worked at home for them so that I could do that in the classroom, not only just for academics, but for their behavior behavior and, and all of that. So just having that open line of communication with your parents and um, that, that that's what's most important. Of course, you're always going to have parents that are difficult to deal with or parents are going to have a difficult teacher to deal with sometimes that your personalities just kind of don't uh, connect very well. But keeping that line of communication open is so important. Even if you don't fully get along with each other, you just have you have to keep communicating and you have to show your kids that you are in connection. That school home connection is so important. If that's not there, it's really difficult for that child to have a successful school year. So just yeah. be in open communication with your child's teacher, even if you don't agree with everything that they do. Um, try to be supportive the best you can, because that that teaching job is not easy. It is not I easy. I've been in both positions. I'm the mom and the teacher. I know uh, it is not easy. So definitely give them the benefit of the doubt for yeah. sure. Because especially right now, um, teaching is one of the hardest professions out there. It is. I, I, at this PD I was doing yesterday, I was like, you know, a teacher asked a question and I like it was at the end, I ended up staying for like an extra hour to kind of like go through like some of their textbooks and be like, because I, I think one of the big things that happens in teaching is you get so many resources. You just like start buying books and be like, oh, this, someone recommended this. I'm going to get this. And then you have this closet of books and then you don't have any time to read all of these things. Yeah, and then, no. and then I was like, and I'm like, I, my pantry, I don't even have food in it. I just have books. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, but I was, I sat down and I just like stopped for a minute because I was like, this is crazy. 
people do not realize the kind of job that teachers have, because I'm like, I'm giving a whole breakdown on this one subject. This is the only subject that I do and specific to these grades. And there's these teachers are spending the whole day learning about this one subject. They have eight other subjects, throw in parent teacher conferences, behavior, making their classroom cute, making their letters home, like the communication classroom management. I mean, like there is so much that teachers have to be an expert in. I just like kind of would like chuckled for a minute. Cause I was just like, yeah. this is insane that like, this is the only subject I think about. And that's why I can be close to an expert on these things. But like teachers have to be an expert in so in no other field. Do you have to be an expert in so many different things? It's right. crazy. Yeah, for sure. And for them to be at that PD, they had to make sub plans in order to go to the PD to spend exactly. the day with you. And so that took a whole extra, however many hours to set up their classroom for a substitute. So yes. yeah, it's yeah. It's so I, I, that's why I was like, but I ended up staying and I was like, give me your textbooks. I'm going to put post-it notes on the pages that you need to go to. Like yes. I was, you know, like I, they had like yeah. the Kilpatrick text and recipe for reading, but they, they yeah. weren't like using them because they had too many things. And so I was like, here, right. give me. It can um, definitely be overwhelming when you have too many places to go to, you have to hone in and focus, you know, what is my main objective and find the few resources that work for each of those specific objectives. So I'm really glad you had them sticking out <laughs> the most important things because you're right. It's information overload um, for teachers and for parents. There's just so much out there and you don't know what is the good information versus the bad information sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So along those lines, okay. So say I'm a teacher, a lot of teachers ask this, like mm -hmm. where, what would you say to a teacher that maybe, well, let's talk about one, what curriculum you should ask for. And if mm -hmm. you have any tips on how to ask your admin for a new curriculum to yeah. like, if they won't change the curriculum, like what you can do in your specific classroom. And I would add like, maybe how would you, how would you like get everyone on board? I think like that's a big thing is getting like, let's say I'm on the K2 team. So maybe mm -hmm. I'm going to get an outside resource, but then like sharing it and being like, we're all doing this one outside resource or, you know, so I know that was like five questions, but <laughs> <laughs> dive in wherever you want. I'll try my best to answer all of those. Um, so if your administration is open to purchasing uh, an extra curriculum or a supplement, because obviously we know we have, um, the decoding side that we need to work on, but then we also have the language comprehension that we need to work on. And usually there's not one curriculum that works on all of that really well. That's the problem. <laughs> and so the big box curriculums try to do that. But like you said, in order to be an expert on something, you really have to dive into it. And so these big box curriculums are not experts really on anything. And they're just pulling in uh, you know, oh, we think this is good. We think this is good. We think this is good. And it's all kind of mediocre instead mm -hmm. of like really good. So you need a separate foundational skills curriculum most of the time, because those big box curriculums don't do foundational skills, right? You might be able to use your big box for your language comprehension, because you can kind of play around with pulling out the vocabulary. And usually there's some good connected text in there, um, some complex text. Um, but you need those foundational skills, especially in K1 and 2. So if you're admin is willing to buy something. Ufly is very affordable. The manual is like $70 and everything oh else is free online. 
all of the slides, all of the uh, decodable passages, all of the homework pages, everything is free online. You technically wouldn't even need to buy the manual if you could maybe kind of figure out how the lesson goes by looking at their slides, but I recommend getting the manual because it's very affordable and it breaks every lesson down um, very nicely, but they're aligned to the research and they have evidence that it works. They piloted it in many schools before they released it. Um, so that would be my first um, suggestion for a curriculum if you are able to pick one. I also like Open Court foundational oh, skills yeah. kits. I taught with Open Court um, for several years and it is really fantastic, although it's going to be a bit more expensive, um, but that's another great option. And uh, then there's some really great companies out there with really good decodable readers like Phonic Books and Junior Learning, um, where you can just get some supplemental resources or some activities for centers and things like that. Um, but these are kind of the companies that I share about a lot on my page or the ones that I know that are doing it right. Yeah. Um, and so I constantly bring up the same pages all the time over and over and over again, because they're just like my go-to. I have like a solid like five pages that I share about all the time and their resources um, because I know it's aligned and I know it works. And then I'm not searching all over the place. I'm like, okay, these are my main five bookmarked websites that I go to all the time for everything. Yes. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Um, do you have thoughts on, um, well, a lot of people ask about, okay, my school's using Lucy Calkins yeah. <laughs> and, um, <Yeah>. or <laughs> yeah, you can just go on that one first. <laughs> you go, uh, yeah. Yeah. So what I would do is if you have to use this curriculum for whole group, like you are locked in, this is what I have to use, which I get it. I was locked into a big box curriculum that I had to use. Usually you can have some wiggle room in your small group time. Like maybe they say your whole group time has to be this, but then feel free to supplement in your small group. If, you, if you're told that, go for it and supplement in your small group Um with resources that you know are aligned, try to pull in strategies to that whole group because any curriculum you have, you can't hit every single component that's in there. You've gone through the teacher edition, you see that there's like 50 parts to the lesson. You're like, I have 60 minutes. I can't possibly teach all of this. So find what's good because not everything in Lucy's curriculum is all bad. Like, yeah. It, you can pull out things that work or you can adjust the way you teach it to be aligned, but you have to use what you have. You can't be spending a fortune and teachers don't make enough money to spend a fortune on supplements anyway. So pull out what works, pull out um, what you think is aligned and then supplement everything else that you can with what you have. But that's where I started sharing free resources on my page because teachers were like, I need something else for phonemic awareness. I need something else for phonics, but I don't have money to buy anything because I have this yeah. huge curriculum in my classroom and this is what I was given and I don't have any extra money. I've already bought things for my walls and things for their desks and notebooks yeah. and folders and pencils. Like I can't buy a extra curriculum. So that's why I started sharing free resources. And there are many out there that are really good. So yeah, yeah and that's, I and I will say if it's, if you're a teacher, like I'll link your page, but you do, you share so many like 
free resources that you vetted, which is just amazing. It's yeah, it's- I use them all in my own classroom or with my own children. I don't share anything that hasn't been used on uh, with a student. So um, and it's so fun because like my oldest, I taught him how to read when he was in pre-K. And now my youngest, I'm teaching him again how to read. So I've literally gone through all of this with my own kids, even as a parent. So Oh, I love it. So it's easy yeah. if you're a teacher or a parent. Yep. Yep. I try to share to both all the things I share of tutors, homeschool families. Uh, I try to make sure my content can reach anybody who wants to know about literacy and how to simplify it. I try to make it simple and not complicated. And uh, I don't want you to feel intimidated by it. I want you to feel empowered by the information. Yeah. And I know a lot of um groups or websites or things can make it feel a bit intimidating. So I'm trying to come from that love angle. You really do. And you do a great (laughs) job of it. Um, Okay. So speaking, you said homeschool. Um, Okay. Mm -hmm. So on the curriculum line, well, there's, there's a couple more curriculum questions from teachers and homeschool parents. So um, do you have a favorite homeschool curriculum that is aligned to the science? I would say you fly again can be used at home. Um, It's super affordable again. And then you definitely need to pull in that language comprehension side. Um, Even if your kids are K to two, you still need to be reading aloud to them. Mm -hmm. Homeschool families have a little bit of um, wiggle room with how they can create their curriculum so they can make you know, themed units, like, you know, maybe we're going to do ladybugs and we're going to read fiction and nonfiction all about ladybugs because that's what your child's interested in, but you're going to hit those language comprehension, you know, standards that you need to meet with all of those texts. You kind of have the flexibility to do that, but you have to do the foundational skills as well. You can't just theme everything out and think that they're going to magically learn how to read. Um, Okay. So what are your thoughts on letters? Uh, le- oh, wait, what do you mean? Letters, the training or oh, letters, the, sorry, letters, the training. Sorry. I, I, I was just, I was just looking at the curriculum specific questions. I'm just like now reading them off of Instagram that my, my Jess is also on my team and she groups the questions. So I'm just like now like naming curriculums. Oh, okay. Sorry, so you didn't follow my brain segue. It's all good. I was like, letters, the alphabet or letters. Yeah, what, what do you think about the alphabet? <laughs> Um, uh, so letters is a training for teachers, um, but you can't get that on your own. You have to get it through a school district or, um, I think a school has to purchase it, but if you can get your admin to get letters training for you, it's amazing. Unfortunately, parents can't probably get letters trainings. Although I've been in trainings that have, um, like community leaders in it were invited to join. Um, I actually facilitate for um, Letters Early Childhood. So I I do those sessions. Um, It's fantastic. I think they actually have some kind of grant going right now. If you post a video, you might be able to win training. Um, I don't, I think they just extended the date for that. Oh, that's amazing. If there's any, I don't know how soon this podcast will come out, if it'll come out uh, in time, but yeah, letters training is fantastic. And if you want to know the, the why behind everything, uh, that's definitely uh, a really solid training to have. Oh, good. Yeah. I think that was a, that was a teacher question about them trying to decide what to ask their district for. Yeah, most definitely. If they'll, if the district will do it, a lot of states are requiring it actually. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And it's like part of, um, they have to get completion in it to keep their, um, certificate. 
Don't you think it would just be easier if like this stuff was trained in college? I absolutely would. I think that's why that <laughs> Facebook group was started. The science of reading what I should have learned in college because so many colleges and I forget the percentage, it might be better now than it was um, when I was in school. But yeah, my college was total balanced literacy. I didn't, I took a class and maybe we took like a short vowel quiz. We made an alphabet book. Like that was about it for foundational skills. Everything else was um, running records. Mm -hmm. We had a student that we gave running records to. Then we were reading leveled text with, you know, the student and nothing, no research really it was all philosophy or whatever the professor wanted to teach you because they all wrote their own books, right? So yes. the, professor, <laughs> the professor's written their own book that you're buying for the class and they're just pushing their philosophy and their teaching style on you. And so what you're learning is definitely not research-based a lot of the times in some of those uh, reading classes that you take in college. Yes. Crazy. Um, okay. I have two questions that I think you would be awesome to answer. Um, okay. One is, okay, well, actually these two kind of go together. This was from the same person. <laughs> what is the best thing to do with the other 20 kids while I pull for small groups for reading? And two is, how do you do guided reading in kindergarten if they can't read? I'm smiling because I'm just like, I know what your answer is going to be on that one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so during small group time, I usually had students at centers or workstations, um, but not like daily five, not like workshop. Um, they were mostly, you know, phonics based centers, um, listening centers. Uh, we were lucky enough to be one to one devices. So my students could use different apps and things. So we would use like Teacher Monster to read. Uh, which, by the way, the online version is free and the app goes free every once in a while. That's a really oh, fun phonics-based app. Yeah, Teacher Monster to Read. Um, if anybody wants app recommendations, I have a whole link tree full of them. So You have so many links. I, I know, <laughs> and I went off on a tangent again. Isn't that so teacher of me to yeah, go off on a tangent? <laughs> but yeah, so you want to set up... Um, centers in your classroom or the students can do seat work if you're not ready to have full-fledged centers yet because classroom management is top priority when you're going to pull small groups if yes. you don't have your routines and procedures down you're going to sit down at the small group table and you're going to be interrupted every two minutes and you're never going to finish that small group so you definitely need to have your routines and procedures in place you want to slowly introduce centers, but you want to make them very simple, very clay-based at first. So maybe you have building with blocks in kindergarten and coloring and putting puzzles together. You want to do that first. Make sure that they know how to go to a center, work together, share the supplies, clean up the center, and be able to walk back to their seats when the time is up. You then, sound like responsive classroom. Are you responsive classroom trained? I, I'm not. But um, I believe that the previous school I was at is now doing that. Um, okay. And I've heard a lot about it. But no, that's just like my that's philosophy. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, and once you have that management down, then you can begin to pull 
small groups to your table. You need to have, um, you know, rules in place about when they're allowed to interrupt you at the table. You need to have rules about, you know, are you going to allow them to just use the bathroom whenever they want? Because we know that's something that's going to be asked about 50 times while you're at center. So you need to have little rules for all of these things. Um, and then you can slowly start putting more academic centers out. So I always in first grade had a word sort pocket chart center where kids were sorting the words um, by vowel sound, whatever the skill was. And I always had review at my centers, never anything new. Don't put new content or new information at your centers because then you're going to get question after question after question. You want constant spiral review at your centers. Even if it's too easy for them, it builds fluency, it builds confidence, and you will not be interrupted because that small group time is so precious. Um, and you also want to make sure they're practicing correctly. If you're putting things that are not, um, that they haven't learned yet, they're going to practice it all wrong. We want to practice correctly, so we're not go going to have to fix it later. Yes. Uh, so that's kind of my my way of running centers and small groups. It's very um, structured. I was yeah. a very structured teacher. I had um, I know some teachers do like must do may do lists, so you could have maybe little folders, and so they must do you know this little phonics page, and then they may do like partner reading of their decodable together. If you're more a free flowing teacher, I just couldn't do it. I had to like know that this group was at this center at this time and this day, but Same. you can definitely make it work for however your classroom works. And some classes are different each year. You might have a class that can be free flowing, but I never had a class like that. We all had to know, know our task, know what, what we're doing, when we're doing it, where we're going to be. Um, and, and kids, kids thrive in structure. Like it's yeah. not saying that you're taking away the fun. It's like, we feel safe in structure. Think about like an airplane, you know, like if it's just yes. like, you can do whatever you want. You like, people want to know where to sit. They want to know when the drinks are coming out. They want to know yes. what the snack is. It's like, I'm like, yes. I'll have the fun when I get on my vacation. Like, tell me exactly what my, what I should do right yes. now. Yes, And that's the thing about science of reading is that we're not going to assume anybody knows anything. Um, Anita Archer talks about that. Don't make assumptions. Teach what students need to know. Tell them what they need to know. Then rehearse it again and again and again. The brain needs so much repetition to learn new skills. So, I mean, when kids learn to walk, they, they don't walk perfectly the first time they do it. They have to stand up and fall down and, you know, hold on to the couch. And so everything yeah. we learn in life is progressive. Why aren't we treating reading that way? It's, I know people it's a will, learned skill. Yes, it's people will be will you know with the sight word thing and like it's easy to go. This is the word said. Say said, and then they're like said, and like oh my god, they know it. And, and then so if you teach them science of reading and you're you're doing like structured literacy, and then you're like, well, they didn't get it instantly. I feel like people are so like, oh, it's harder. That one was way easier. It's like that wasn't anything, right? Because you're <laughs> gonna show them the next day, and they're not gonna know it said. Yes. Not, I promise you, except for a fair, that 10% that learned yeah. to read easily. Yes. And you'd be like, well, these five kids learned it, right? But you've left the rest behind Yeah. by, by picking a method that you think looks easier 
when in fact it's doing a disservice because the brain is building connections. It's a muscle. We have to connect those pathways in the brain. It's, it's not wired for reading. We must train the brain to read. Um, And so I think that's hard for literate adults to grasp that concept. And it's also hard to listen to a student sound words out. Mm-hmm. If, you know, at first it feels uncomfortable to you hear a child. Tell them. Yeah. You just want to spit out the word and parents want to do that too. And parents don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't. spit out the word. Let them, let them have that productive struggle a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and I share that a lot on my page. I do that uh-huh. on purpose. I share videos of my son sounding out words because I want people to get more comfortable with it and sit yeah. more comfortable with that productive struggle. Um, now, if they're doing every single word like that, that book's too hard. You need yeah. to maybe review the skills that are in that book. They should eventually start having some fluency and some automaticity, but um, it's okay to sound out a few words on every page. Um, yeah. It's good for their brain. They're building those connections. So, yeah. And I think it, the other question was guided reading. I don't know if it I was. Could. Yeah. Well, well, one thing on that. that you, okay. you will, we'll come back to that, but I was just going to okay. say, I think, I think, is it Kareem? I think Kareem Weaver talks about this too, when people are like, well, it works for those five kids. Or I've heard, you know, parents or teachers say, I don't remember learning like this. And it's like, that is learner's bias. Like, or like, right. like we, we were fine. And it's like, no, that's you. We don't realize it. Cause it's like, we're adults. We, we are privileged. We right. don't have to think about that. Yes. If you were lucky enough to have parents to support you at home, you, your first language is English and that's all, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many, uh, privileges that some of us have, uh, that we don't even realize are a privilege when it comes to learning how to read, but it's, it's there. It is. Okay. The, the guided reading. Yeah. The question that they wrote in was how do you do guided reading in kinder if they can't read? You don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my simple answer. But if you want to know how to run a small group, I share about that on my page all the time. I have lesson planning templates um, for all um, Aries phases of reading, including uh, pre-alphabetic readers that don't know how to read yet and what you can do with them in small group. Essentially, you're starting with alphabet knowledge and phonemic awareness with those students. They don't need a book in their hands right away at the small group table. Although you can do some concepts of print, like where's the front cover? Where's the back cover? Where's the picture? point yeah. to a word yeah, seeing if the they first understand. word yeah what's the first where's the period you know and yeah. kind of talk about the structure of a book so that they understand how a book works but you're going to be doing um a lot of alphabet practice starting with the letters in their name because that's very motivational research says that's the best place to start um has the biggest effect size on students is starting with the letters in their name so that's where you want to begin and then follow your scope and sequence and just start back at the beginning for students that didn't grasp it in whole group go back to that first letter that you introduced and do that in small group a little bit more in depth with those students love it um, okay. I, I want to talk to you all day, but I feel like I should, I, we both have other things go to do. all day long. We need <laughs> to just go on, we need to go on TikTok live and then we can we just talk should. for hours. Oh my gosh. Let's You're do always that. so busy. <laughs> I, you, yeah, we will, we'll find it. Um, but I do, I do have one question that popped up that I think is really important to talk about. Um, okay. and that is from teachers who say I have middle schoolers reading on a first grade level. Yeah. What, where do I start? Yeah. Yeah. And 
it just guts me to think that it's still happening. And it's, I could rant about this all day long. And it starts with um, third grade being what we wait for. Why are we waiting till third grade? And then um, in Florida, at least again, in eighth grade, those are the two required retention grades. Yes. Why are we waiting till third grade? But yes, it's, it happens. You're going to get kids in middle school and high school that are reading way below grade level and um, lucky that they are still staying in school mm-hmm. at this point, even when that barrier is there, you want to give um, an assessment first. You want to give um, a decoding assessment. If they are not um, decoding enough words, then a phonemic awareness assessment. You want to go all the way back to the beginning, even alphabet knowledge, give an alphabet assessment of names and sounds. Go back to the very beginning. I love phonic books. They have decodable readers for more mature Mm. readers that are struggling. They look like chapter books. They have more mature illustrations in them because a lot of times those older readers you know, you put in front of them this little CBC decodable reader and it looks like it's for babies to them, right? That's embarrassing. It's not very motivating. And you're like feeling ashamed that you're reading this baby book and struggling through it. So I love that Phonic Books has those options for struggling readers. I also try to share resources that don't have like clip art on them and things. So you fly their passages are great and they're free because they have a space to draw an illustration and just the text. There's no clip art, nothing points to a grade level. It just is the pattern that's being focused on in that text. And then you illustrate it. Um, Readworks is another great option. They now have some decodable text um, as part of their article of the day in grades K and one. Um, And then their passages they also have regular passages that are just sorted by grade level. Okay. I, it might even go all the way up to 12th. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. So you could pull grade level text and then you can also pick like to simplify it, make it easier on the same topic. So maybe the whole class is reading um, about the civil war, but you want to drop down the grade level on it. You can see on ReadWorks that they have that same theme in a lower grade level Um and pick like a a simpler passage. So ReadWorks and it's free. Parents can sign up for ReadWorks as well. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so that it's great for knowledge building as well because we know background knowledge and vocabulary are so essential for comprehension, not just decoding. Yes. Okay, I do have one more question, but I think think that I'm like, I'm looking at the questions. I'm like, I think like kind of like all the answers kind of fall under the same thing. But, um, well, one teacher says explicit instruction is tremendously impossible to know how to do with so many kids. That's not a question. That's (laughs) just their statement. So what would you say to that, that teacher? I get it. I get it. It just sounds like you haven't built a routine. Like we were talking about earlier, kids thrive on routine when they know the routine. I would even, if, if the class is struggling to sit through a structured lesson, right? I would have on the board, like a little checklist. First, we're doing our phonemic awareness. Then we're doing our new concept. Then we're doing our word blending. Then we're reading our sentence. Then we're going back to our seats and doing dictation. Like have your little order 
And Mm -hmm. so they know, okay, we finished this, check that off. Kids feel so empowered when they know the routine. And so if you haven't built in that routine and you're kind of all over the place, you know, one day you're doing word blending first and then the next day you're doing phonemic awareness first, um, it's, it's confusing them. They don't know what comes next. Uh, and that makes them feel all dysregulated. And, you know, you know, that as a teacher on the days when you had a special event, those were the worst days Mm -hmm. (laughs) because your schedule was thrown off and the kids were just all sorts of like uncomfortable because everything was different that day. So definitely work on your routine, work on your management, uh, work on, um, just, keeping that structure similar as much as you can every single day. And the kids will get used to it. They will. And they'll be like, I know what we're doing next. We're doing word blending next. And, oh, we're going to our seats to do dictation now. Like when they know the routine and feel empowered by it, the lesson will go so much smoother. And I know sometimes teachers will say, well, teaching phonics is boring. It's just so boring. And it's like, you have to put your heart. Oh, my husband's calling me. <laughs> Mute. I told him I was talking to you today. Um, <laughs> you have to put your energy into it. If the kids can feel that you're not into it, they're not going to be into it. So if you are like, we are learning the coolest thing today. We're learning about schwa. It is like the coolest thing. It's the most common vowel sound in the English language. Like, hello, like you have to just be into it. And if you are into what you're teaching, they will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. You have to just like put your heart and soul into it. They, they know if you like it or not. So they do. I feel like that's so true with everything. Everything is about your energy. Like kids are like, even I say to parents all the time, it's like, you're just telling your kids that they have to go read and you're not actually also sitting down to read, or you're not modeling what a productive struggle looks like, or you're not letting them see that you actually don't know how to spell every word. And this is how you stretch it out. Like we, like it's annoying. You're just like telling them how many things do you like to do that? Someone just like making you do. No, we like, we want to feel seen and empowered. Um, I love the excitement about it, that that's such a good reminder for teachers. And I think this is probably something that you would agree on, but I think as teachers, a lot of people mix up that that means like being so excited and be like, yes, we're talking about the schwa means you need to have a different costume and dress up and have a glow in the dark room and all these things. Like those do not equal the same thing. Your energy is what we're talking about. Not like needing to have, which is cool. If you do that, I see very like cool teachers like do very fun costumes and stuff. I'm not that teacher, but it doesn't mean that you need to have that to make that. Right. And social media can be very um, stressful at times when you're looking at all these classrooms that look a certain way and are doing all these fun things but that's not reality most of the time what you see. And so I make very practical resources. I was never a teacher that had the best looking classroom or like the perfect theme, the beautiful, like that was not me, but my classroom ran very smooth because I was very clear with my intent I was very specific with my routine and I focused on what mattered. And so I knew that my focus was going to go into what I was teaching each day. 
and that my focus wasn't going to be on the aesthetic mm -hmm. <laughs> to make it picture perfect. And so it's funny, you'll look at my Instagram page. It's not very beautiful, <laughs> but yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be practical. And I, um, I, I want teachers to not feel intimidated, but to feel empowered by something. So yeah. that's, that's, that's what I try to do. And I tell people like, it's, it's me. I, I run my page. I answer my DMs. I answer my emails. I, I don't have a team. Like some pages have a huge team behind them. Yeah. I don't, it's just me. I'm and a one woman show. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, I feel, I saw a video. Well, two things. I feel like there's one such like a this is like a reminder to parents and teachers who need it. Like parents don't get distracted by how cutesy something is. That doesn't mean that it's the right evidence-based yes. programming. And yes. it also doesn't mean like that that's a better teacher. If you have a teacher that has a classroom, that's just, you know, bare bones, like that's often great. I think that's a great sign. And, um, I think there's such like for teachers, there's such like a world on the social media. That's like, follow me for for teacher classroom style and my daily outfits. And it's like, what? I, <laughs> I mean, yes. it's fun to have that hobby, but that cannot be what we equate to good teaching. Right. And, and, you know, I saw a video like go viral and it was some teacher teaching in a baseball hat. And, um, like the comments just like went crazy. It's like, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I can't take you seriously that you're teaching in a baseball hat. And it's like, it was an excellent video following the science of reading, like explicit instruction. She was teaching a rule. And like, I mean, there were thousands of comments that were just like, no, this video means nothing because you're in a baseball hat. It's like, what? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't teach in a baseball hat, but it's just wild that people do think that like what the appearance is equals good education. Right. Which right. is, so it's, it's hard for teachers to remember that, but put the blinders onto that. And it's hard, I think we're fooled by things, you know, we might think, well, it's such a cute font. So it must be good. Yeah. And that's the other thing, like using cursive fonts when kids can't read cursive yet, you know, mm -hmm. like look at this adorable sound wall with all these <sighs> cursive fonts at the top. And it's like, that's wallpaper. Yeah, that's, wallpaper. That's, that's wallpaper. Yes. It looks beautiful, but you're not teaching with that. Your yes. students are not using that on a daily, like your sound wall should be interactive. Your kids should be going up to it. It, it should look a little messy. Like it yes. look, the classroom, if the classroom looks clean, you know, perfect, then mm -hmm. the kids aren't utilizing what's in there, you know? Uh, so it just, cause it looks beautiful. Doesn't mean it's aligned. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. I always like to end when I have a teacher on, um, say like, what would, what advice would you give to new teachers? And I think that would probably be mine is that like, don't like go for functionality. Do not put anything in if it is not functional to your classroom. Like, unless that is separate energy that is like, almost think of it like a different thing. This is not your teacher hat right now. This is your creative side. If you want to like spend your, a different part, like a hobby of yours of decorating your classroom, but do not take what is your teacher energy to make it about designing, like only put things in your classroom that are functional to kids learning. Absolutely. I well, agree 100% with that. Do you have any other advice you would give to new teachers? Um, hang in there. Yeah. It's really hard your first year. You're going to think about quitting every other day, probably. <laughs> I know I did my first year. I got to winter break and I was like, what am I doing? I can't do this anymore. Um, 
try to focus in on the most important things, you know, if it's, if you've got to focus on grading, that was always my hardest thing is trying to get papers graded and sent home, you know, then say, I'm going to start my planning period grading one set of papers today. And I'm going to do that every day, just so I have at least five things graded for the week. You know, whatever your struggle is, try to pencil that in to your schedule, because sometimes you'll get to that planning period and you just like stare at the wall the whole time because you're so touched out. Um, So I found that like, I knew every Friday during my planning, there were no meetings or anything. That's when I'd lesson plan for the next week. Um, And it just became part of my routine. And then I knew that in the morning I was going to, uh, you know, clean up the centers and have them kind of set for, for Monday or what, you know, whatever, whatever your struggle is, pencil that in, schedule that in so that those things get done. You'll feel so much better on the weekend. And if you got to bring your laptop home, bring your laptop home. Like people will tell you, oh, don't work outside your contract hours. But that first year, it's almost impossible not to work outside your contract hours. So don't feel guilty if you have to do a little work outside of your contract hours, but just be mindful of how much time you're spending because you can get burnt out. And I definitely felt burnt out by year 13, uh, because I was coming in early and staying late and, you know, doing all the things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. And then being a mom at the same time, uh, it's just, it's just a lot. So, uh, be kind to yourself. You're doing great. And if you've made it to this point in the school year, uh, you made it through the first quarter, I'm sure. So that's, that's something to be celebrated. And that first year, just know, like you really don't know until you've been through a full year. So give yourself some grace and, um, just take it day by day. Every day. I, and, and I would add to like, I think along those lines is like asking for help. Yes. Like yes. no one knows everything. I thought I was so embarrassed to ask like any other teacher. I was like, I have to, they know. And I don't like, yes. no one knows. <laughs> yes. Like, and then some people might know. And then, and then they might, or they might say, Oh, that's a good question. I have that question too. Let's go ask the, the third grade teacher together. Like she right. might go to, you know, don't be afraid to say the smartest people are the ones that aren't afraid to say, I actually don't know. Absolutely. I agree with that a hundred percent as well. Try to find uh, a teacher bestie if mm-hmm. you can, uh, or at least someone that you're friendly with on your team who's been there for a little while because yeah. they will know a lot of the questions that you have. Because sometimes it's just about everyday stuff, you know, not even having to do with the academics, but like, who do I give this paper to? And yeah. where do I file this? And what am I supposed to do with all these, you know, field trip pages that came in? That kind of thing. It's just, it's so much more than just teaching. So yeah, definitely reach out and ask for help um, because you, you need it. It's not a, it's not something you can do on your own very easily. Yeah. And follow Jess. <laughs> yeah. And follow big city readers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got you. Oh my gosh. I could, I'll have to have you back like tomorrow because I feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> yeah, of course. Have Thank me on time. I will yeah. be, uh, I always, I always say yes. I love oh, doing yay. podcasts. So it's so much fun. 
Yay. And then we'll, yeah. we'll have to do a TikTok together too. Yes. But. Yes. We need to go live on TikTok. It's hard. I have to force myself to go live on TikTok. I don't like to go live for myself. I don't either. Okay, so, we'll do it together then. I don't yeah, like to go live. That's why I myself. like to go live with someone, but I know like TikTok likes you to go live, but you know, I just don't like to do it alone. Uh, it's scary. It is scary. TikTok is a, <laughs> is a dark world alone. You never know what's going to come up in the comments. So you really don't. Oh, we'll goodness. Do that. Oh my yeah. gosh. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your knowledge and for sharing all of the free resources that you do. I'll link everything we've talked about in the show notes and your, where people can find you on TikTok and Instagram. Yay. Um, yay. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. All right. Well, you have a great day. You too. Have a good one.